Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, October 30th. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am your host, Cheats. We have a jam-packed episode today. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to join us this morning. We have a great conversation with my friend, journalist, and co-creator of the Unmasking series, Samantha Willis. We get into all the reasons, not all the reasons, but some of the reasons why I absolutely can't stand Halloween. One of those reasons is racially insensitive costumes and the controversies that sur- surround them. It's half- it happens every year. It's already happened this year. NBC's Megyn Kelly lost her job over racially and racially insensitive segment regarding costumes that she did last week. Um, Samantha is one of the best people to talk to about this. She understands the history of things like blackface. We break it down in this episode of the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Also joining me on this episode is my good friend Jonathan Zor. Jonathan is the executive director of the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities. Tonight at 7 p.m. at the Jewish Community Center in Richmond, there is an event to stand in solidarity with those that lost their lives in Pittsburgh. It is another tragic, tragic mass shooting that seems to be, uh, you know, basically it seems to be a hate crime. There's no other way around it. It was, it was a targeted group of people based on religion, and it's just unfortunate. Jonathan goes into some of that. He also goes into several other incidents that's taken place over the last just 10 days. Jonathan has been doing this work in this field with the Virginia Center of Inclusive Communities for several decades. He is truly one of the best experts in the city and in the state that we have and probably in the nation. And it is really great to have Jonathan on the show. We have a couple of major announcements that we're going to get to. We actually might have time for an Ask the Cheats movement. It is the Cheats movement on WRIR. Thanks for joining us. Let's get this show started. But first, as always, Dipset. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, October 30th. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the support that you've given the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We have a few special announcements. We're very, very excited about a few of these announcements. I'll start with the biggest one that I can think of, which is please, ladies and gentlemen, mark your calendars for Sunday, November 11th at 4 p.m. at the beautiful... ICA at VCU. If you're not familiar, it's the Institute for Contemporary Art at VCU. It's the brand new building that's on Broad and Belvedere. It is phenomenal. The Cheats Movement will be in the building doing a live podcast. It is a post-midterm election podcast. That podcast will feature some amazing guests that I'm going to tell you about right now. My good friend, Tressie McMillan Cottom will be joining us. She's a contributor to The Atlantic and also a VCU professor uh, right here in Richmond. She is the author of Lower Ed, The Trouble, Troubling Rise of For-Profit Colleges in the New Economy. And it's just an amazing book that has been floating around all over academic circles and floating around all over Capitol Hill. We are extremely honored to have Tressie join us on Sunday. Also joining us will be senior political correspondent and CBS contributor Jamel Bowie. Jamel lives in Charlottesville, but he is nationwide, nationally known and renowned for his political expertise. So we're so glad to have him. And finally, Amber J. Phillips, celebrated activist and host of the Black Joy Mixtape, will all be at the ICA at VCU on Sunday, November 11th. 4 p.m. The event is absolutely free. However, space is limited. I don't know exactly um, how we're going to do it. I'm assuming it's going to be first come, first serve. But st- space will be extremely limited. Uh, but we're going to have an amazing, amazing event. So we're excited about that. Also, I'm very excited to tell you that the new Legacy Coffee Mugs are available at thecheatsmovement.com reimagining what the future of Monument Avenue could look like. 
make sure you check that out at thecheatsmovement.com. Now, it's that time of year. It happens every year. I have a problem with it every year. And I don't know. Honestly, I got to tell you, I don't know when this started for me. When I was growing up, I remember getting dressed up with my friends and going out trick-or-treating, going out, you know, having fun with my friends in my neighborhood and getting a bunch of candy. I remember coming home, dumping the candy on the floor, sorting it by the candy that I liked versus the candy I didn't. I traded with my brothers and and my sister about what candy I wanted to keep versus what candy they get to keep. I mean, I remember Halloween every year as a young one as something that I really, really look forward to. And somewhere... I think for me, it started early. I remember probably being a freshman in high school, and that puts me around 13 years old or so, and I was like, look, I'm done. (laughs) I just remember being done. I remember telling my parents I wanted to give out candy. I didn't want to get dressed up. I didn't want to go walk the streets, and I actually enjoyed, and I still do to this day, seeing toddlers between the ages of baby and I don't know. 10 years old I enjoy them coming to the house I will gladly give them candy I will ask them what you know what outfits they are and I will make jokes and I will be that type of parent or dad or adult that really enjoys it what I tell you what I don't like and this has really ruined Halloween for me as we move forward it's basically college age and beyond I think it has no place. College age and beyond is just not fun for me. Now, I am unique in that sense. My wife really enjoys it. Uh, You know, she'd go out with her friends and, and, and get dressed up and have a good time. It is just so problematic to me. And it seems like every year there is some Halloween controversy that has to do, let's just call it, call a spade a spade. It's normally... Uh, people of privilege, a.k.a. white males, for the most part, doing some type of racially insensitive costume that leads to a whole hoopla, that leads to, I don't know, people in Richmond a couple years ago that led to an individual basically losing not only his job but his career. It also led to the establishment where the event took place shutting down because nobody wanted to support it. And it seems like that I can remember probably dating back for the last decade year after year after year some type of inappropriate whether it was just you know racially insensitive or was it some some person or people of privilege making fun of you know people that are less fortunate halloween has just turned into a thing where i really wish i could just duck my head in a you know just like stay home in the house not have to worry about going out and not have to worry about like who lost their job this year uh and this year it does turn out it 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 hit home again because we nbc's megan kelly did a segment on her morning show on nbc and what she explained to her colleagues at the time she did not understand why a white person you know, either blacking their face. Now, we weren't even talking about blackface, but we were uh, during this segment. They were talking about how white people can't brown their skin to 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 mimic or dress like black people. She just didn't get it. She thought America had gotten too soft and people should be able to wear whatever costumes they want. And it's just, you know, completely, completely, kind of, you know, it's just a blind spot there. It's it, it, uh, uh, a privileged position blind spot that doesn't realize how offensive things like blackface were megan kelly wind up having a segment where she did apologize i want to say the following day or a couple days later she had a segment with uh amy holmes and roland martin uh prominent black kind of columnist and and commentary folks and they kind of educated her even a little bit more on the air about the racial insensitive history of things like blackface but it it never fails and she ultimately nbc ultimately i believe let her go uh let her you know they so her show will not be renewed and her show is not coming back and this happens every year it happens way too often and it's just disappointing and it really has 
for me personally, it's it's made Halloween a difficult thing to even be excited about. I've got uh, I'm like every parent that's listening to this. If there's parents listening to this, I've got a three year old son. He's gonna be Spider Man and a dinosaur. He's very excited about going out. I mean, you know, Halloween lasts a week. That's another reason. It should like there's no reason for Halloween to last like two weekends, a full week. But be that as it may, he's got uh, you know Halloween events at at his school on Tuesday and Halloween events on Wednesday, and he is going as Spider-Man one day and a dinosaur enough. He looks super cute. He enjoys it. He's going to add a lot of candy. And I think that's where Halloween should stay. You know, forgive me for saying otherwise, but I, I just, that's where, that age between baby and 10 years old is where Halloween should stay. I can enjoy it at that pace. I don't enjoy it when it's, you know, full-fledged. I was driving through... My wife had her 20th high school reunion. Shout out Monica High School, 20th high school reunion. It was a great job. It was well done. It was a great high school reunion. It was over at uh, uh, Triple Crossing, the brewery down there. It was fantastic. Um, But we were driving back home after the reunion through the fan, and I just remember, like, seeing all of those Main Street bars and all of these college or post-college age kids just dressed up. And, I mean... Granted, some of the outfits were extremely creative, and I'm sure some of them was really fun. I really didn't see much of them driving through. But, uh, you know, some somewhere, somehow, somebody did something in Richmond, probably in my neighborhood, that was really offensive, and they want to stand on principle and say, I can dress the way I want to, and that just, just is disheartening. <laughs> it's disheartening in 2018, and it kills me. And so Halloween for that, that alone is just not my bag. I just can't do it. You let me know what you think. Am I being overly sensitive or not? I mean, I really think. I mean, if it didn't happen every year, you might have a leg to stand on. But this time, it's just, you know, I say abolish Halloween for anyone past like 15 years old. That's where I am with it. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. That is my, my Halloween rant. I don't know exactly where I went with that. It probably could have been a lot better, but... That is why I don't like it. Uh, joining me after the break is a good friend of mine, Samantha Willis. She'll be up right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Joining me on the phone right now is a very good friend of mine, one of my favorite journalists. She happens to also be the co-creator of the, of the Unmasking series. Friend of the show, Sam Willis, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much for having me. So, Sam, I'll tell you, I just went on a rant, as always, about how much I hate Halloween. And <laughs> one of the... I, I don't think this is the sole reason. There's a bunch of other reasons. But one of the sole reasons that Halloween has become problematic for me and, and the age that I am is that every year we have someone do something that is either, you know, just insensitive for mankind, specifically racially insensitive, or, like, they just don't know what a proper, what, like, proper Halloween etiquette is. And this year is no different. Uh, The news that came out last week, NBC's Megyn Kelly, who was obviously a big hire from Fox News, was a big deal when she left Fox and came over to NBC, has now been Mm -hmm. relieved of her duties, because she had a segment on her airways that she didn't understand why certain costumes were racially insensitive, and she didn't understand mm-hmm. why blackface wasn't racially insensitive. Let me mm-hmm. a- let me ask you this, because <laughs> I know you're tired. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why does this happen every year? Well, you know, I, I will say first straight up, I'm definitely not a Halloween expert. Um, it's it's not in my, you know, top three holidays. It's I, horrible. I do it's, have, a, it's a horrible it's, holiday. It's, it's should, horrible. I don't know do about We could do without it. I'm telling you now, we could do without it. I don't know if I revile it quite as much as you, Mark, right. but I, I, it's definitely not a favorite. Having kids, you know, you're kind of obligated to, to participate. But uh, in terms of... Uh, Halloween and, and the exhaustion I think that it brings. I, I said this on Twitter 
And uh, I, I mean it. I mean, I'm I'm so tired of 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 specifically blackface, um, and then also you know the culturally insensitive costumes and you know shenanigans that happen to go on around Halloween and on Halloween every single year. It's it's exhausting um, to have to keep explaining and to keep saying you know like please don't do this. This is why. You're insulting and you're disrespecting an entire culture of people or an aspect of of, of people's culture. Uh, you're you're potentially offending people that you work with, that you go to school with, that you see in your everyday life without even realizing it. Um, just I feel like at this point it's so saturated, uh, you know, with examples of why it's inappropriate to wear culturally insensitive costumes that I feel like if people don't know by now, I, I feel like I, I just don't, I, I don't know what to say to you. There is Google. And that, uh, there. <laughs> no, and, and that's what bothers me a little bit because the default reasoning behind this, and it happened with Megyn Kelly. Megyn Kelly, the one thing about, the one thing about the Megyn Kelly thing on NBC is they waited till after she had, she apologized publicly she had Roland Martin and Amy Holmes sitting at her table explaining to her why it was racially insensitive. Then they fired her. I was like, look, if we were going to go through all this, I thought I might have had a shot to keep my job. You know what I mean? But Right. Uh, I was surprised that they that they uh, well, asked her. Right. So. That's what I, I, thought. I actually was. I thought yeah, that they had yeah. Amy Holmes and Roland Martin at the table explaining to her why it was was in poor taste. That was that was her their way of keeping her. That still did not make it. Let me ask you this in this way. If you were the person, because you are actually very qualified to do this, if you were the person sitting across from, you know, we're using Megyn Kelly, but anyone that was in hot water for not understanding blackface, you're sitting at the table, she's saying, I didn't get it, you know, I didn't understand how racially insensitive it was. How do you break something down like that for, for her and for our audience? I think it's a matter of, you know, first of all, I find it personally difficult to understand how someone would not know that it's a problematic to wear culturally insensitive costumes, whether it's blackface, whether it's dressing up in costumes like Native Americans or indigenous people, whether it's, you know, whatever, a, a, an array, a variety of culturally insensitive um, and offensive costumes. I, I personally don't understand how people still don't get that in this day and age, but if I was talking to um, Megyn Kelly, which I hope I wouldn't be, but if I was talking to her, uh, I would I would bring the, what what's important is bringing the lesson home and helping people connect with it in a personal way. And you know, this is what we saw um, in Richmond when we had our blackface incident here two years ago. It's been two years now. Oh my God! It has. But what that yeah, it's been two years. One thing that I um, really had to do, uh, really wanted to do, was to make plain to Richmonders that blackface has a really insidious, long, complex history that's specific to Richmond, that's specific to this area. You have, you know, two Richmond natives, two different men um, who have two different, very, uh, two very different um, uh, relationships to and interactions with blackface. You have, you know, Charles Sidney Gilpin, um, who's an actor, dancer, this uh, black man who's been on Broadway. He recognizes the cruelty of blackface and refuses to perform in blackface, even though it was a popular, uh, quote unquote, art form at the time. And he was expected to do it. He decides not to do it because he recognizes that this is really demeaning. And this is uh, a slap in the face to my culture. And his career suffers for it. And then on the other end, end of the spectrum, you have another Richmond native, um, Freeman God Godden, who, you know, he's one half of the show, the radio show. Amos and Andy, which was nationally syndicated at the time. It was hugely popular. Huge, huge show. It was a huge show. Huge, huge show. I mean, this was, the show was viral before there was a, a viral to be. Uh, and Gosden, you know, he's from Richmond. And part of how he promotes the Amos and Andy show is by wearing blackface in public and uh, affecting the intonation and the, the, the voice patterns of black people. Uh, and like I said in the piece that I wrote about this, when we had our Richmond blackface incident, it, there's just such a specific tie to Richmond and blackface that it is unimaginable that we would still be dealing with blackface um, in this day and age, um, knowing knowing what our history is. And a big uh, one of the main pieces of feedback that I heard from that piece 
um, was just like, oh my God, I didn't know. People were writing me emails and sending me messages on Facebook. I had no idea about the history of blackface, that it was this, you know, thing that mocks black people and, and black culture and, you know, faces painted black with exaggerated, you know, red lips. Uh, it characterizes black people. I didn't know about this this history and how it ties into minstrel shows and all of these demeaning things. And they didn't know about it tied to Richmond history either. And I think once that was illuminated for people, it really helped drive home an understanding of, oh, that's why it's so messed up that a public, you know, a public figure, so to speak, would wear this costume um, and think that it was okay um, to, to do this in, in public spaces. Um, it, I, that was one of the main pieces of feedback that I heard, that people just didn't know. So I think the key to helping people understand why blackface or other types of insensitive costumes, you know, wearing someone's culture as a costume to help them understand why that's wrong. You have to make it um, make it a, a direct connection to them, whether it's, you know, something about where they live, whether it's, you know, you, you may have friends, relatives, even co-workers, people that you go to school with who would be offended, you know, by it because of this history. Um, and once people get that understanding, I think there's a different... Uh, a different perspective. They're they're kind of illuminated to say, oh, now I understand. It, it really, you're exactly right, and it really is a definitive piece. For those of you who are listening to this who is not familiar with the, the piece that Sam is referencing, it was in Richmond Magazine. Uh, it came right. out a, a, after the Richmond blackface incident in which a popular, uh, a popular DJ wore blackface in Richmond to be, uh, as he quoted, to be provocative. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it, it was, uh, you know, it was viewed, uh, you know, at the time and, and afterwards in this day of social media as, as what it was, was extremely insensitive and inappropriate. Um, and that mm-hmm. led to a whole rash of discussions. And like we say, we go back to this every year, Sam, that we have these particular discussions every year, whether it's blackface or anti-Semitic, uh, you know, outfit or costumes. Yeah. Or yeah, or you know, you know, very anti-Native American type costumes, and it's one of those things where, like, you explain it so well, you break it down, and like you said, make it personal for those people uh, that would. And Mark, I just want to say that that there are going to be people probably listening to this um, that either are thinking themselves, well. I have the right to wear any Halloween costume that I want to. Why Why shouldn't I be able to wear, you know, blackface? Or That's why shouldn't I be able to? Point. That's an excellent yeah, point. How, how, do, they, how do you educate those folks? But, but, you, know, but you know what? Here, here's the, here's the, the gag of it all. And here's the real, real deal that I say to people. And I got that response after my piece as well, that, you know, people have the right to wear whatever they want to wear. And my, my thing is, I feel the same way about that response as I do when uh, white people say to me, well, black people say the N-word to each other. Why can't I say it? My response to that is, why would you want to? Why would you want to say the N-word? Why would you want to wear a culturally insensitive costume? Why would you want to wear blackface, something that could offend a, a large portion of people that are around you? Uh, and even if you don't know anybody, if you don't know uh, people that might be offended by blackface, just think about where you are in society. Think about the, the age that we live in. Think about the political climate that we have right now. Think about the fact that uh, 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 underrepresented groups are being persecuted, targeted. Uh, people are, are being uh, discriminated against in ways that we haven't seen in this country in you know, 50, 60, 100 years. We are in a pivotal time right now uh, in terms of social consciousness. So even if you don't, uh, you know, personally know anybody that would be offended by it, even if you want to, you know, assert your right to wear it, just think, you know, what message that sends about you as a human being right. on and, Earth and, and as an and, American citizen. And at that point, what are you really trying to prove? Right. Because exactly. I, what are you trying to prove? I had a really good friend of mine who called me. Uh, I want to say it was last year and said. You know, hey, Cheats, I saw... Because last year, I posted... Get this. So, two years ago, we had the Richmond uh, incident that sparked a lot of discussion. Last year, I posted because, you know, everyone gets exhausted. And when you posted on uh, social media, I was like, before we even go here, these are things that are offensive. And I posted it in advance. And And I had a buddy call me and said, hey, Cheats, I saw your post. I was thinking about... um 
dressing up as the artist. Frida, Frida's the artist. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a white male. Big Frida. He was like, I was just no, 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 not Big Frida, the musician, the uh, Frida. I want to say the the art, the visual, the painter. Like, you oh, know Callow, I mean? Frida Callow. Yes, yes. And Got it. it. Like, okay. You know, oh, big, big difference. Big difference. <laughs> But I can see how both of those go downhill really fast. <laughs> like, both of those costumes would go downhill really fast. Either one. Either one you need um, to be careful with. But go ahead. But, but the interesting part was, you know, the, the, he called in advance and said, this is what I was thinking, and I'm now starting to feel a little funny about it. What do you think? And, I, and, and it's funny because you and I both talk about this. We, we don't want to be the universal sounding board for everything that's appropriate and inappropriate. But I was like, well, if you if you thought enough about it to call me an ass, you probably shouldn't do it, right? Because you probably right. aren't. Because even if you did do it, it's going to be in the back of your head that you're possibly offending someone. You know what I mean? Right. And why would and you? I mean, why would you want to do that? I don't. And and I think that you know I want to be very clear with folks who 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 don't understand this and who don't understand you know who who might not have the highest level of cultural competency. To understand why something, you know, these types of costuming uh, can can be really offensive, I, I'm I'm not. We're not trying to be the costume police. We're not trying to say, you know, what you can and can't wear. We trust me. I, I don't I, care. I, I am trust because my me. my hatred for Halloween grows much deeper than yours. Well, that's 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 on you. But, but <laughs> know, we're not. Right, right. I'm not trying to be the. I'm I'm simply. I think that what what people can say to themselves is if they're wondering like that, like, oh my god. Think about the fact that there are ways to pay homage to figures uh, in history that you love that who may be from a different background than you are without needing to paint your body or without needing to, you know, do these things that would take it over the line as offensive. I've seen a bunch of of costumes um, last year, not not so much this year, but last year when uh, that movie uh, came out that's based on the book about the black female mathematicians. Uh, at NASA, oh, hidden figures. Uh, hidden figures. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I saw a ton of. Yeah, I saw a ton of kids uh, dressed up, even little white girls and little, you know, sure. different uh, ethnicities of children dressed up as these women, these black women mathematicians, and they didn't need to, you know, paint their faces. They didn't need to, you know, do all of that. They, it it comes across in the costume, and then it's clear that you are paying respect to this person versus using their identity as a costume. That's where the problematic starts when you just want to put on somebody's life and their their outward appearance as a costume that you can pull on and off without any type of understanding or respect for uh, the culture that you're uh, you know imitating or that you're trying to, to imitate through that costume. So, so one, of, one of the more <laughs> popular questions this year is uh, Black Panther. Can white kids do? Can black? Can white kids or young white kids wear a Black Panther costume? And I'm going to tell yeah, you, if, yeah, I saw, yeah, I saw, I, I, what, so. I saw a white T'Challa that was in the Black Panther outfit with the mask, and he, you know, he didn't paint his skin, he didn't exaggerate. You know what I mean? They didn't do anything that was uh, culturally inappropriate or culturally insensitive. And you look at that kid walking with all the other Spider Mans, and you know what I mean, exactly. like Joker's. And that kids kid looks love like superheroes. Right, he looked like he was having a great time. And and not yeah. one and not one person was gonna say anything. You know the 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 issue and, and like I said, it always goes back to the 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 age bracket. For me, mm-hmm. my you know my son, everybody knows my son's four years old. Halloween is great for him. He is he's a dinosaur. <laughs> he's Spider Man. He's having a great time. It mm-hmm. is it is those like college and post college Saturday nights where you know someone has. And it doesn't even, like I said, it doesn't even have to be, you know, as specific as like blackface. It's the, Mm-mm. it's the, you know, it, it's in, even inappropriate to say on the radio, but it's the, you know, gangster parties or the, you know what I mean? Like just the stereotypical, oh, yeah. the stereotypical parties and stereotypical events where, you know, I, I would never in a million years right now as an, as a full fledged adult, I would shudder to go to like a bar on last weekend on Saturday night prior to Halloween because I know like I'm not looking for it, but at that point I know I'm gonna see something that, that just throws me off. You know what I mean? And right, it's just like, exactly. I can't enjoy it, I can't enjoy my time. I might as well just stay in all weekend. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, I, I feel that and I 
I just feel like, you know, if your costume has to rely on stereotypes or if your party has to rely on stereotypes, you should probably know right there that this is not appropriate. (laughs) Sam, thank you so much for the time. I really, really appreciate it. And it's also just, you know, the education for there's maybe one or two people or hopefully more that listen to this today. Uh, as they go into Halloween tomorrow and maybe they'll think about it maybe not this year, maybe they'll think about it next year but there are real stories attached to why some of these uh, like, again if you think it's offensive, it probably is but there's also probably a personal connection, whether it's to the city or the community or someone that you may not even know that you're offending, that you didn't want to offend so, I appreciate your time on this as always, this is Samantha Willis co-creator of Unmasking and one of my favorite journalists. Where can people follow you, Sam? You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Words by Willis. All one word. And uh, I'm on Facebook a bunch of times, too. My page is private, but I make a lot of my posts public so people can follow along. Excellent. Excellent. And we will be back with the Cheats Movement on WRIR right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. Joining me on the phone right now is a very, very good friend of mine. He is the executive director for the Virginia Center of Inclusive Communities. His name is Jonathan Zor. He's been doing great work in the entire state of Virginia and beyond for several decades now. And I just want to welcome him to the show in what is, I know, a trying week and a trying couple of months, but in particular, a trying week. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Good to be with you, Cheats. John, you are well-versed and well-experienced in these types of things uh, when we talk about, you know, circumstances like mass shootings, mass shootings at places of faith. Tonight, you are a part of a multi-faith uh, visual for the people that lost their lives in Pittsburgh. Tell us a little bit about what is happening tonight uh, and why these types of events are important. Yeah, so after the tragedy in Pittsburgh on Saturday, a number of religious leaders and community leaders in the Richmond area immediately started chatting Saturday afternoon. Um, and by Sunday morning, there was a planning call and it was clear that Uh, There was interest from the community in coming together. And so uh, tonight is going to be a night for unity, standing together with Pittsburgh. It'll be at 7 p.m. at the Weinstein JCC, the Jewish Community Center on Monument Avenue. And it's a chance, I think, for the community to be together, to offer support and solidarity, uh, to communicate uh, commitment to the Jewish community that those who are not Jewish are uh, standing with them and and I think for folks to really be able to demonstrate their values by showing up uh, and standing up in the face of uh, bias and bigotry um, you know in addition to the significant tragedy that took place on Saturday in Pittsburgh we also saw last week on Wednesday a racist motivated shooting in oh, Kentucky yeah. um, there were the, the bombings um, that were targeted or the bombs that were sent targeting Uh, political figures um, and media figures. There was the news out of uh, the New York Times that uh, transgender people potentially were going to be targeted through uh, Trump administration policy. So it's been a really hard week. um, And I think tonight's Standing Together event will be a chance for folks to be together and to uh, renew a commitment to making our communities more inclusive and more just. You mentioned a few of these that have happened extremely recently within the last 10 days, right? You've been doing this for such a long time, and we're always trying to figure out ways, whether it's, you know, new approaches or even best practices approaches for a community to kind of come together and heal and move forward. What have you seen are some of the most effective methods for just a community, people that want to help? What are the things that they can do? Yeah, so I think it's really significant that folks are committed to showing up uh, for events like tonight's event, uh, and I'm grateful to them. Um, I'm also really hopeful that we don't have to continue to wait for crises for people to want to show up. So wouldn't it be amazing if we had a, a forum on building a, a more just Richmond, and instead, which we did last year, and instead of having 50 people show up, 
Uh, we had a thousand plus people that were expecting to show up tonight. Um, so I think that part of our work is really going to have to be to make this a daily commitment uh, within our schools, within our workplaces, within our spheres of influence, uh, that if folks are not actively working to pursue equity and inclusion, we're going to be playing catch up and we're going to be responding to crises rather than preventing those crises. Um, I love the fact that, and I'm, I'm gratified by the fact that people reach out to us at the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities uh, when these things happen. I've received uh, more letters of support, emails of support, people wanting to volunteer, donations have been coming in um, more than usual over the last week. Um, but why are we waiting for these crises? I think this has to be top of mind if we're ever going to see a different uh, outcome and a different reality for our country and for uh, our communities across Virginia. Jonathan, when you say that, you know, I think one of the challenges is when people are going about their day, they're kind of raising their families, they're just trying to make it work for themselves. Um, you know, it may not be as top of mind as possible. I know that, like you said, you have been working in this for such a long time. What are some ways for just the average person to encourage that, that may have, you know, a sensitive heart for for inclusion and equity? What's the best way to kind of tell have them approach their friend and say, hey, maybe we should do this together. Maybe we should go to this event together. Maybe there's a there's a conference or, or a seminar or even a local event. What's the best way to start adding members of your community to be involved? I think the first thing is to do some self-work uh, and to really think about what is my lens and what is my perspective, uh, to think about how I see and experience the world and how that may be similar to or different from the experiences of others. And, and one of the things we find is that those of us who have uh, advantages or privileges uh, based on various identities often are oblivious to uh, the ways in which other people may be marginalized, uh, whether that's based on race or gender, class, religion, sexual orientation, immigration or citizenship status, etc. Uh, so we need to be more mindful individually and more reflective individually. One of the ways then to live that out is once I start to think about those things, to be in authentic relationships and to intentionally seek out opportunities to advance my learning, not by um, requiring those who are marginalized or targeted to do the teaching, but by really taking ownership for my own learning and for seeking out new knowledge and new perspectives. One of the greatest things that I've learned in the last few years uh, as a participant in uh, trainings around diversity and inclusion is a reframe that if somebody says something that I disagree with or that is completely new to me, uh, that I should respond with wonder rather than judgment. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we live in a society in which it is quick and easy to be dismissive of the other quote unquote perspective or the other viewpoint. I can change the channel. I can, uh, you know, look at my newsfeed on social media and curate it in ways that only affirm what I believe. Uh, but I think we do a lot better when we actually sit with the disagreement, respond with wonder, how is it that I think about the world this way and someone else sees it that way? And that's not to say I'm going to defer to the other person, uh, but it does mean that instead of immediately shutting that person down or turning away, instead I have the opportunity to do some reflecting and, and I think elevate the tenor of the conversation, elevate the tenor of the learning. Uh, so I think a lot of this work is self-work and then the other piece to it is I think we need to move past what Peggy McIntosh calls individual acts of meanness. So, so those of us who are white, um, I'm on the radio, so folks can't tell uh, that I'm a white man. <laughs> Jonathan is so, white. <laughs> yeah. So I think those of us who are white all, have been socialized to think that, well, if I don't call people hurtful names based on their race or I don't overtly discriminate, then I can kind of check off that I'm a good person. And the reality is that uh, while I may aspire to be a good person, I also in many ways may benefit from uh, systems that I inherit uh, that push me up or grant me advantage. So when I start to think about what is the curriculum that's being taught in our schools, who's getting tracked into honors and AP classes, and who's getting suspended or expelled? Uh, what does it look like in terms of our Fortune 500 companies 
uh, when we start to examine who's in positions of leadership in the region. Um, how are our criminal justice system policies impacting communities of color? Why is it that our neighborhoods are set up the way they are? And when I start to look at the systems level, I think uh, folks can address these issues in more substantive and meaningful ways rather than saying, well, I didn't call anyone a hurtful name, so I'm a good person. I don't contribute to racism and I can just go about my daily life. We need a, a higher level of analysis and a higher level of depth. No, you're, you're exactly right. And that happens, I think, across the board. I, it, I just happened, I was having a discussion with my wife, I want to say last week, um, in regards to uh, a, a gender issue, right? It was, a, it was a male woman issue. And my response at the to a, to a pretty blanket statement was, well, uh, you know, that I don't I don't do that. So that doesn't necessarily happen. And she was like, mm. yeah, just because you don't do it doesn't mean <laughs> that it does. But it never it never struck me as that way. Yeah. And I was like, huh, you're right. And, and, and she she broke it down in a way that made me kind of understand that was like, you know, just because you don't believe that that does not mean that it's a not, not a real problem in society. So yeah. uh, I think you bring it up. Last thing, John, before I get you out of here, I do want to ask, because the climate that we're talking about, especially as we go into things like midterm elections and, you know, it already feels like, uh, you know, the president of the United States is running for re-election. That's what it feels mm. like. It feels like the we're bypassing a little bit of the midterm stuff and we're on to, you know, whether, you know, we're going to be in the general election of 2020 very soon. Along with all of that, and you mentioned it as well in regards to, you know, kind of specified cable news outlets where you can only, you know, you only hear the things that you like. And if you don't like them, you can turn the channel. That seems to have created, and it may be kind of incorrect, but it's kind of what's in the the consciousness of 2018. It's like between the media and kind of what we see in higher public office, there's almost like a culture of you know, negativity, if you will, or a culture of challenges when it comes to things like, you know, inclusion, diversity, tolerance. And it seems like it's coming from all sides. How do, you know, how do organizations like the VCIC, how do they navigate this current climate that we're in that has social media, that has, uh, you know, a president in the White House that may be difficult for your cause, may not be, but may be difficult for your cause. And the media, like I said, in media that's so compartmentalized, how does an organization like the VCIC work through those types of challenges? Yeah, from 2015 to 2017, our organization saw a 1,300% increase in requests after incidents of bias, bullying, or discrimination. Um, so that was an astounding period of time, and, and 2018 is almost over. I think our numbers are unfortunately going to show uh, that we're continuing to see a significant number of these incidents locally and nationally. Uh, so what we're doing at the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities is, one, we've added some staff positions to help us do uh, some of the rapid response work, uh, that when a principal or a parent or a business leader, religious leader calls and says, we just had this incident and we need you. I don't want to ever be in a position where we have to say no. Um, and so VC's, VCIC has added staff positions. And our commitment is that when we show up to provide the opportunity for learning and healing, that that's not a one-time check off the box commitment, that that's a long-term relationship in terms of really trying to figure out how the culture of that institution can change to prevent those incidents in the future. The other side of that, which I think is the more important side, is that we don't want to just be an organization that is putting out fires for the rest of our lives. And so we've added some proactive staff positions that are doing outreach and coalition building, more educationally focused positions to do work with our schools, uh, place-based positions that allow us to deepen our connection to specific communities around Virginia, and the hope is that that proactive work, that organizing work, is going to help to uh, prevent these incidents from happening in the future. You know, I think it sounds naive, but I genuinely believe, Mark, you went through one of our high school programs when you were a, a teenager, uh, 20 plus years wow, ago. Wow, yes, a while um, ago now. And uh, you know, people consistently say that those are transformative experiences to be in space where they get to, uh, now it's a, an overnight retreat, they get to room with someone from a different background, they get to learn about someone's story or experience. 
what would it mean if uh, the folks who have been perpetrating these horrific acts of violence in the last few weeks in the news had, when they were teenagers, had one of the experiences like you had uh, with VCIC, where they were able to learn about uh, people from different backgrounds, different racial groups or religious groups, uh, and had deep, authentic relationships. Uh, you know, I, I think that if we could scale up what we're doing, and we're certainly committed to doing that and have done that over the last few years, uh, we'd be able to do a lot more to get ahead of these challenges. But it's going to take all of us uh, keeping this top of mind, working together, uh, if we're going to overcome what feels like a particularly, I think, polarized time uh, where folks have lost uh, a lot of empathy for one another. We're seeing a real empathy gap uh, that we need to address and overcome. The voice you're hearing is Jonathan Zor. He is the executive director of the Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, 7 p.m., there is a event to show solidarity for those that lost their lives in Pittsburgh. John, just real quick, what are the nuts and bolts of tonight's event? Yeah, 7 p.m. at the Weinstein JCC on Monument Avenue. Uh, we are going to be outside, uh, so dress uh, accordingly for a uh, fall, almost winter evening. Um, we're expecting hundreds and hundreds of people, uh, so folks will be standing. We're going to have a number of speakers, uh, maybe a political figure or two, uh, and it's really going to be, I think, a meaningful chance to come together. Carpooling is encouraged. Uh, there's more information on Facebook if you uh, just search for uh, vigil for unity standing together with uh, Pittsburgh it should come right up thanks John and I encourage everyone please to check out the website of the VCIC it is one of the best organizations and Virginia is one of the best organizations I've ever run across in my life that do, they are experts at doing this type of work and as Jonathan stated we need it more than ever now so we can be proactive as opposed to reactive when these events take place this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We'll be back right after this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I believe we have time for one Ask the Cheats Movement. It's our very popular segment that was that debuted last episode with a bunch of questions, but I think given the time we have, we have time for one question. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Let's go right now. Hey, what's up, guys? This is DJ Mentos. Uh, I just wanted to call and ask you about the midterm elections. I've been spending a lot of time working with Abigail Spamberger and her campaign in the 7th District, and I'm curious which races you guys are watching uh, in and around the Richmond area. That is an excellent question. Shout out to the homie DJ Mentos. Mentos, thanks for the question. Like you, I am watching the 7th Congressional race in Virginia very closely. That is the race between... Abigail Spamberger and Dave Bratt. Abigail Spamberger is a friend of the show. She's been on the show. Um, I am a, I'm a big fan of hers. I make no bones about it. And so uh, I'm pulling for her for many reasons, but she's ran a great campaign. Um, there hasn't been a Democratic representative of the 7th District in Virginia since 1971, so well before I was born. Abigail has just run uh, an amazing race. She's done everything I think you can do in that district, and they've only a few days left. So, DJ Mentos, thank you for being a part of that campaign. Uh, and anybody that's listening to this that lives in the 7th, uh, I hope that you would consider looking up Abigail or even hearing our interview with her on the show. I'm a big fan of hers. I'm watching that race really closely. Uh, another race that, and I happen to live, full disclosure, I live in the 7th. Uh, you know, so she's got the full cheats movement endorsement, if you will, uh, goes without saying. And in my world, if anyone that knows me closely knows that I am a, uh, more than a casual fan of a Senator Tim Kaine and the Senate race there. So, uh, you know, full cheats movement endorsement there. Wouldn't see it any other way. If you know anything about the cheats movement uh, and you know me, I will tell you this. The other races really quickly that I'm watching extremely closely. There is a race out in the Virginia 10th, which is Jennifer Wexton taking on incumbent Barbara Comstock. Uh, huge fan of what the Wexton campaign has done. So, I, I, you know, just watching that closely. And I think that, you know, if everyone works hard uh, on the Wexton side, you can pull that out. Um 
there is a race in the Virginia 5th that may surprise a few people. And that is uh, Leslie Cockburn is the Democrat running. And it is well, like, it's too close to call well within the margin of error. The Virginia 5th is the seat, uh, that I guess it's Goodlot seat, that he's not running for re-election. He's not returning. So Leslie Cockburn has a great shot out there. So I'm watching that race really closely. On the national scale, I am watching Stacey Abrams in Georgia. I believe the world is. I believe the world is watching out in Texas. Better O'Rourke taking on Ted Cruz. In Florida, Andrew Gillum and his race. Uh, in Florida, also, just a really amazing Senate race. Bill, Na- Bill Nelson is taking on, uh, I believe it's the former governor, Rick Scott, just a, in, right in Florida, which is obviously always a big uh, presidential state. So watching that one. There's just a ton, a ton of midterm elections. The midterm elections are extremely important. Uh, this is not one of those shows that says, you know, you know, we don't have crazy conspiracy theories. Go out and vote. Um, it is very important that you go out and vote. Um, you know, people have sacrificed so much for your right to vote. Go out and exercise your right. If you don't vote, I do strongly believe you can't complain. So definitely go out and vote. Thanks, DJ Mentos, for the... Uh, question and we're going to be watching these races very closely and obviously next week when we're on the air it will be election day so we'll have a big election day episode on the air and then again as i mentioned earlier in the show november 11th that sunday a big midterm election wrap up live at the ica uh, on the campus of vcu so very excited about that that's all the time we have. That's all the time we have for Ask the Cheats Movement uh, this week. Uh, we'll be back to wrap the show up. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our episode for today. As always, the Cheats Movement is brought to you by 804RVA. Make sure you check out one of the best co-working spots in Richmond. Again, mark your calendars for November 11th at 4 p.m. at the ICA at VCU. It's a live podcast. We've got some great, great correspondence coming in. Gigi Broadway will be in the building. Next week, we will be back with a special midterm election episode. It'll be election day, so make sure you check that out as well. As always, if you want to email me, you want to email the show, it is thecheatsmovement at gmail.com. Make sure you go to the Cheats Movement blog and check out the new legacy products for sale. Until next time, Richmond, we see it.